Who you calling crazy? Welcome to Who You Calling Crazy. This is a unique mental health podcast. We are erasing the stigma and elevating and normalizing dialogue around mental health. Of course, we'll be sharing practical therapy tips, but most importantly, we'll be diving into the stories and vulnerability of people you know or want to know. I'm your host, Juliette Cunley. My name is Bernicia Crawford, and I am the CEO of an organization called BYE, which stands for Bringing You Excellence. We are a community consulting firm. Um, We are one of the only agencies in the state of North Carolina that focuses on trauma-informed consulting. And so we help organizations become trauma-informed while also providing tools to help strengthen resilience and maintain your mental well-being. Ah! Well, isn't that just perfect and right up my alley? (laughs) So, so why, why is that important to you? I mean, there must be something in your story or something that makes this your mission. I mean, what's not in my story. (laughs) Let's go there. If you're willing, let's go there. Yeah. I mean, so this work is so important to me because I feel like so often we look at, um, folks who are in need of help and we look at victims or folks who have um, have experienced like great adversity and we look to them to solve their problems. We look to them to um, change something about their lives to get out of a situation that they didn't put themselves in. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if we're being honest, a lot of folks who are struggling today are struggling due to systemic issues. Mm -hmm. And the system just points back to the people to say, hey, well, if you want to get yourself out of this this challenge or this problem, if you want to get yourself out of poverty, if you want to get yourself a better job, if you want to get yourself out of that, then you need to do more, 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 more. But there has never been any like real infrastructure uh, that is sensitive to that adversity and trauma that people are going through. So we're just walking around extremely traumatized, but expected to perform as if we're not. So- There's nobody doing this work looking at a human being and what they're experiencing and comparing that to the expectations of their environments. And so that's why. (laughs) Yeah. But it's, I mean, you must constantly feel like you're kind of coming up against barriers because the system is still still so screwed up. (laughs) All the time, all the time. There is a level of education and awareness that we have to, that we focus on a lot, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, when folks hear the word trauma-informed, they're like, what is that? I don't even know what that means. But it's really when you, uh, being trauma-informed is a mindset shift. It's think is is shifting your mindset from it's not what's wrong with the person. It is what has happened to them. Mm -hmm. You become sensitive to their social, emotional, um, well-being and looking at how the things that they are experiencing, how that impacts their behavior, their performance and their productivity and their ability to connect in and, and, and um, just move forward, like navigate life. Mm-hmm. So being trauma informed is really looking at the human being first versus allowing their situation to be the first thing that you see. Right. And then for people like you and me, that seems so obvious, right? <laughs> but it's yeah. not. And especially in the corporate world, Mm-hmm. It's not, we get so focused on productivity and outcome and, uh, you know, we have all these measures. And so seeing the person first, that's part of what I feel like there has, do you feel like there's been a shift uh, through the pandemic where there's a little bit more compassion in that way? I think so. I think now, so that it's funny. 
a lot of change doesn't happen, especially from like the top down until the top experiences it. That's right. That's just the truth. Right. Like, oh, well, yeah. I, don't, I can't relate to that. I've never experienced that, whatever, yeah. whatever. So it's not that big of a deal. But for example, working parents have been screaming for years. <laughs> we have been screaming for years. Uh-huh. You know, I'm a mom of a, a little beautiful, amazing baby girl. Mm-hmm. She started kindergarten. But it's been hard since we had parenting in general. That is a whole nother conversation. You might have to bring me back to that. (laughs) But parenting in general is just challenging. And parents for the longest have had to navigate parenting (sighs) Mm -hmm. and being parents for the first time, you know, every single day is a, it's a new, I've never, I've never been a parent of a kindergartner, right? And I've never been, I've never been a parent of a kindergartner who is going to her third week of school. So every single day is new for parents, right? And for years, we've had to learn something every single day mm-hmm. while also trying to manage work expectations. And then you just slap any other like cultural, right. <laughs> you know, any goal, any like anything, that, any pressure that we're getting from society, you slap that onto us. It gets really challenging and it gets really hard. So it hasn't been to the pandemic where folks were forced to be at home, be with their children, be with their spouses, that it all just came crashing down and we're feeling all the weight at one time. We've been feeling it this entire time, but I think everybody felt it at the same time. And I think that's why folks are like, oh, okay, this is a problem. It's a problem. Hello. But that's okay. We'll take it. Right. It's yeah. Better late than never around that. But I'm imagining that a lot of the work has to be anti-racism kind of trauma Mm -hmm. teaching. Right. Um, There's levels to it. Okay. Trauma impacts everybody. It doesn't care what you look like. It doesn't care how much money you have. It doesn't care what God you serve either. Right. We could we could hang up this Zoom call right now and experience something extremely traumatic. And also what's traumatic for me is not traumatic for you. That's it. So we have to educate people on the fundamentals of trauma, which is it, it literally goes back to the brain science. So whenever I'm giving these trainings, I'll say, hey, by the end of this, you're going to be a neuroscientist. OK, this is what we do. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's really looking at like, how is our brains and bodies even designed to function? Because these are things that we are not taught. These are things that we mm-hmm. don't um, learn in school. It's sad that I've had to go through so much education and then get additional certifications to to learn this language and to learn all of this information. But mm-hmm. we start with the basics of how does what happens when I experience adversity, what happens in my brain, and what mm-hmm. happens in my body. Mm-hmm. And the reason why that stuff is so is so important is because once you begin to learn the brain science and you begin to see that, oh, this is not a person having an attitude. This is not a person just showing up late. This is not a person just being rude. Their body is having a response. This is what's happening in their brain and body. So we start from that level because I think if you go in just focusing on racism, if you go in focusing on discrimination and LGBTQI um, rights and go in focusing on poverty and all these things, people immediately begin to go back into the same mindset that they had before. And trauma-informed work is about shifting your mindset. And so you have to understand that brain science to do that. Beautiful. And that breaks it down to that more just human level, which some people can receive and hear. Yeah. Yeah. I, I say this all the time, like, why, if, if race, if race, for example, was a social construct, which means we created it, mm-hmm. that means we can like throw it away. Right. 
I always say, I think about this all the time. Is it black children who are poor and need help? Or is it children who are suffering from poverty and need help? Does it really make a difference if it's a human being that still needs help, right? Mm -hmm. And so we use race and all of these different identities to determine how we're going to help people. And in one breath, that that can be helpful. But our society has been using that those types of data points in a very, very toxic and traumatic way. And so um, I think it's now time for us to put the person in front of all these other things and deal with the person. That's the work. <laughs> that is the work. So what can you share about your own mental health journey too, in the context of all of this, perhaps? Ooh, my mental health journey. Uh-huh. That we're still on. I know we're, we're always on it. <laughs> you know, it, it's a journey with no ending or destination. You know, I think it's, it's something that changes every single day. I think what I have learned most is the more I can be honest with myself and how I'm feeling about every single thing, even if I'm ashamed of, about how I feel, mm-hmm. the closer that I can get to healing. There's one of my friends and colleagues who, um, I don't know if this is his quote, but he shared it. And, you know, we were talking about, he talks about resilience and that's something that we're really, really big on. I remember when I first learned about resilience and I'm like, I'm a black woman. I'm resilient. I don't need to learn anything about resilience. Like my people are the most resilient people in the world. And what I learned was that resilience is not just about pushing through something, but it's about being able to adapt well in the face of adversity while not sabotaging your physical well, mm. like physical and mental well-being. That's very different from just pushing through something. And so Absolutely. for me, my mental health journey is about how can I adapt to things without sabotaging another part of myself? Mm. And that is really, you know, we if there's things that we do and we don't realize we do it, you mm-hmm. know, um, if we're stressed out, we may have a smoke, we may have a drink, we may indulge in Netflix and just binge watch something. We try to escape Mm -hmm. versus learn how to deal. We try to just give give ourselves a break from dealing with the adversity or the challenges that we experience. Of course. When that break is over, we we get right back to it. And so it's more about like during that break, what can I do that's healthy? What is something that I can do that will actually like add to and benefit versus just an escape? Yeah. And how can I learn to trust myself with these feelings? Yeah. 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 That I can tolerate it. Yeah. And, and, and being brave enough to say, I feel this way. I'm really angry. I'm Mm -hmm. pissed off and Mm -hmm. I don't want to talk to this person. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to continue this. Saying no has been a really big thing Mm -hmm. for me. Setting boundaries have been a a really big thing for me personally. I'm a people pleaser. Mm -hmm. I've been, let me say, I'm not, I used to be recovering people, you know, (laughs) I've had some people pleasing habits Uh as well as perfectionism, as well as, you know, just trying to, I'm really, really hard on myself. And I realized just the other day that a lot of the challenges that I experience sometimes are self-inflicted because I'm holding myself to expectations that are just not realistic. Mm-hmm. I'm like, where did these expectations come from? Who set these standards? Who set these standards? I don't like this. This mm-hmm. is terrible. And guess what? I have the power to change them. 
That's right. And and a lot of the expectations that we set for ourselves come from people who are not even remotely close to us. Mm-hmm. Like not, I mean, there's nothing about my life mirrors the person who did, you know, mm-hmm. this goal, who accomplished this goal. So why did I make that my goal? It's mm-hmm. really mental health is really about self-awareness. It really is. Mm-hmm. It's just being aware of how you feel. I do this activity all the time, head, heart, feet. Mm-hmm. What am I thinking in my brain? What am I feeling in my heart? And what do I, what do I want to do? Mm-hmm. And I'm constantly asking myself in any moment, what am I really thinking in my brain right now? Yes. Am I saying what I'm thinking? Am I doing what I'm thinking? What am I really thinking? How do I feel in my heart about it? And now what do I want to do about it? Mm-hmm. Those check-ins every day is super helpful. Right. Because then you can catch limiting beliefs. You can. And I also, this makes me think about how that journey from head to heart though, can be hella long. Yes, it is. Right. And so, but I, but I, yeah. And I love this idea because we talk about this a lot in therapy, you know, the thoughts, which can cause feelings, which cause behavior. So that's what you're saying is just like, how can I bring much more awareness and intentionality to that? Absolutely. Because those thoughts come from somewhere. Mm-hmm. comes from what we feed ourselves, comes from movies, books, mm-hmm. videos, TikTok, Instagram, social media, what mm-hmm. we listen to. It comes from our parents. It comes from our upbringing. Every thought is not yours. doesn't have to be true. It does not have to be true. You get to choose. Yeah. And I think just um, coming into that power of knowing that I get to choose mm-hmm. which thoughts I accept and which thoughts I act on and which thoughts that I can reject. I mean, just knowing that I have the power to choose mm-hmm. that um, I think really keeps me in a good place with my mental health journey. Cause there are times where I'll, I'll be thinking something and then I'll say, hmm, wait, that's not my thought. I yeah. this because I saw something or someone said something to me or whatever. So um, I think, I think that our culture is so like our policies and systems and proceed. It's just so black and white, yep. but the human brain and human body is not that. And so I don't know why we try to fit circles and boxes. That's right. Or put fit boxes and circles or whatever, triangles and, and, and well, they can't fit in square. So that's <laughs> you know what I mean. Like yes, why do yes. we try to do these things? And we try to label it all. And label it all. yeah, I also, I want to come back to what you said, this, um, adapt to things without sabotaging another part of myself. And so I also love how we, when we can recognize parts of self yeah, and who's maybe driving the bus at a different, a certain time or uh, what part shows up in a certain relationship or things like that. Um, So I don't know if you, I don't know. That just really stuck out to me. What else can you say about just the parts of self? That definition comes from resilience. Resilience is adapting well in the face of. It's not just adapting and it's not just pushing through. It's adapting well in the face of adversity, Mm -hmm. which means that, you know, being resilient doesn't mean that um, what it does, what it doesn't do is take the problem away. Mm -hmm. And what I have, what I tell people all the time is we can't rid ourselves of trauma and we can't rid ourselves of adversity and we can't rid ourselves, rid ourselves of challenges. It's life. It is coming. It is going to happen. What's more important is for us to learn how to deal with them in healthy ways. Mm -hmm. So for a moment, I could say, man, this wine, this glass of wine is so good. And you know what? I've had a stressful day and I'm just going to drink me a glass of wine. One turns into two, Mm -hmm. two turns into three, 
three could turn into one every single day, two every single day, three every. And so what I'm doing is sabotaging my body by depending on a substance that's not really bringing me the most nutrients. Right. And this is a personal story. It's very true for me. Wine just feels good. I love the taste. But, Mm -hmm. you know, anything that is um, I mean, everything should be done in modesty. Too much of any one thing can be damaging. So knowing that, okay, yes, I may this wine may make me feel good. But what is it actually doing to the other parts of my body? Mm -hmm. Right. Good Mm -hmm. for my immune system. Is this good for my Am I getting nutrients? Is it good for my belly? Mm-hmm. Am I drinking myself full that I'm not even eating dinner? Does mm-hmm. this impact my sleep and my rest? Sure. Um, does it impact my ability to connect with my daughter? Because now I'm a little, I'm a little yeah. buzzed, yeah. right? Like I may slur some words when I read, you know, her yeah. book, you know, before bed. So thinking of those things, like for the moment, I get an escape, mm-hmm. but how does it impact me? in other ways, you know, once this moment is gone. And I think, you know, um, I work with a lot of counselors and, you know, and some of them are addiction uh, Mm -hmm. specialists, right? And one of the things about addiction that they say is like, we get get addicted to things that almost work, Mm. right? It almost works. And so we keep doing these things thinking like, it's going to work, but it's not. It's not going to work. Like if I had more time, if I, if I just could just do one more thing. So we get addicted to things that almost work. Well, and I think that that brings up just how do we define what work really means too? you know, if what you're saying is it makes that discomfort go away temporarily. Okay. Yeah. But I define something works when I have learned that I can handle whatever it is and I can move through it, you know, in a healthy way. Yeah. 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 Can you identify, are there any like turning points in your, in your life that, um, again, just in this context have captured either trust in that ability to move through things or just a different awareness around that? I had a huge turning point in my life back in 2009 or 10. And it was, I was in college, sophomore year of college. It's a really interesting story. I won't tell you the whole thing because all day. <laughs> but I, I wanted to, when I started college, I thought I was going to be a physical therapist because okay. my dad wanted me to be a doctor. He was like, "You can be a doctor," and I'm like, "I hate blood. I hate the hospital. I hate the colors. I hate it all. Don't think I really want to be a doctor." But maybe I can outsmart my dad and get my doctorate degree in, <laughs> in the medical field. So I'm like, I went to school studying kinesiology, and I remember the very first. A class, I mean, chemistry class, and my professor's like, look to your left, look to your right, like somebody's not going to be here. And I'm like, well, well, that's encouraging. Uh. And, um, and then I learned that they only accepted 17 people in their athletic training department. And one class had 300 people. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I got all odds against me. I'm a female, I'm a minority, I'm small. <laughs> I'm not, I'm probably not going to be one of those 17. So how can I make myself a little bit more, mm-hmm. um, you know, like a strong candidate to get into this program? So I decided to go to massage therapy school. And that completely changed my life. Okay. Um, So much so that after completing massage therapy school, I was like, I don't want to be a physical therapist. I was like, I just kind of let that whole thing go because what I learned in physical therapy, that was, uh, excuse me, massage therapy school. That was my first time really connecting brain, body together, brain and body together, life experiences together. The body holds so much. There's this quote that says, the brain, the mind may not remember, but the body does. 
And um, I, I have stories for days about how when working with some clients about pain that they had experienced for years and years and years, but it wasn't until they connected it to something hard or challenging adversity or something traumatic that they were able to rid themselves of that pain, right? Like there's a, a, a young woman who had pain for five years in her lower back. She never told me where it was, but I felt it. I was like, is this where you're feeling that pain? She's like, yes. I said, how long have you been experiencing? She's like about three, three to five years. I said, did anything traumatic or anything hard happen between those times? Now, this is out of a, out of scope for a massage therapist, but she was she wanted to talk. So I'm like, you know, I'm just asking questions. And she says, um, oh, my gosh, uh, my mom passed away. Abruptly, and I think it was a car wreck. My mom passed away in a car wreck and. I said, how did you grieve? And she responded, I didn't. I didn't grieve. I just, I was busy packing up all her stuff, moving things out of the house. And I was just really, really busy. Her body carried all of that grief. And that's why she was having all of this pain. And she told me she went to acupuncture. She did physical therapy. She took medication, steroids, had shots, all of this. But it was connected to something traumatic that she had experienced. The body held that. She didn't remember it. It took someone working with her to make that connection. So massage therapy changed my whole life, how I take care of myself, how I view people, how I see people. And it has just carried on into my work today. I didn't know that I would still be in this space now. I'm not an active uh, therapist at the moment, but I'll never forget all the things that I've learned from it. Oh, yes. You, I'm sure you know that book, the body keeps the score. I mean, I, yeah. I, I firmly believe in that. Uh, and a lot of people think that can be really woo woo. It doesn't make sense. There's mm-hmm. such a detachment there, mm-hmm. but it, it does make so much sense. And I've yeah. lived that and I've lived that with clients and I bet you naming that for her too, was a turning point for her. She was in tears. She was in tears. And I was yeah. like, this is where I probably am not the person to continue supporting you. This is where I would refer you to a counselor or a therapist or someone that can help you work through it. Now, I'm so happy to continue working through this on the body side of things, but yes, brain and body are so deeply connected. And that combination is, uh, you know, that holistic, very integrative approach to humans. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. That's what's up. I mean, I wish everybody could experience all of those modalities. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But to have, again, going back to the, to have a trauma informed massage therapist is very rare. Yes. Yes. Very rare. I don't think it exists yet. It's like this work of, of, of being trauma informed. It is, you know, it's a new market. It's an, it's, it's new. It has been around for years, but we're just catching, Mm -hmm. you know, some, some good synergy and, you know, just across the country. Um, and so we're kind of like spearheading all of this work. You mm-hmm. know, I think um, folks still try to focus on policy, productivity, and efficiency. We are trying to focus on wellness. Mm-hmm. And you cannot be well if you are not thinking about the adversity and the challenges that people are experiencing when they're not around you. Yeah. Yeah. They're- and you can usually get at that in, you know, in a business perspective by saying, do you want your people to be more productive than... Yeah. Focus yeah. on you know, the Yeah. You know, use their language, <laughs> employee retention, employee engagement, right. you know, all right. of these things. And and that's fine. I mean, I think sure. it's that we now know the language that they want to, that they, that they speak. 
But I'm just excited to bring this lens to corporations. We've been doing a lot of work on the nonprofit side and, and with funders and foundations and because they work with so many vulnerable populations. Yep. And so you can have the best of intentions with a, a way that you choose to serve, but you could also be re-traumatizing somebody in that process. And so That's our whole vision is to reduce re-traumatization with, with organizations that are trying to help people, right? That's right. So yeah, it's 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 a lot of stuff. It's a lot yes. of stuff. It's exciting work. It means the world to me because yes. I live and breathe it every day. Yes. What are some of your go-to self-care, soul care activities? Oh my gosh. Yoga for sure. Yoga for sure. Even if I don't do all of the poses right and hold them long enough, just I, my body says thank you every single time. Mm-hmm. Every single time I do some yoga. The other thing that I've learned, we have all of these really cool tools that we can do in minutes. Like, for example, just sitting here and doing a body scan. Mm -hmm. There's so many times where we're in places, whether it's at work or we're with family or whatever, and our body is holding pain or discomfort and we're not giving it any attention because we haven't even we haven't even um, become aware of it. Mm-hmm. So I'll do this activity a lot of times in my trainings. I'll say, hey, let's just sit here for a second. Let's just do a body scan from head to toe. And I just want you to see if you notice anything, any discomfort or something uncomfortable about your body. And folks will say, oh my gosh, my knee is actually hurting mm-hmm. right now. Oh my, my goodness. shoulders are up to my ears. Oh, my I didn't realize. Are, yeah, you know, or, oh, I'm feeling mm-hmm. some more back pain. And bringing awareness to the body, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. that is the best type of self-care you can give. Self-care doesn't have to be all the flashy things, even though I do do those. I will yes. still go get my nails done and get my, my facials and my massages and all of those things. But self-care is something, it's, it's a practice, it's a skill that has to be developed. And it's something that has to be incorporated into your day-to-day life. You know, it's not something that you got to wait till the weekend to do. Mm-hmm. So doing my body scans, taking a sip of water is another one. Mm-hmm. You take a sip of water, hold it in your mouth, just actually feel the liquid, feel the coolness, whether it's hot or cold, swallowing it, feeling it go down your throat into your down through your chest and to see how far you can track it. And what you're really doing is bringing your attention into your body, into yourself for a moment. And that actually helps reset your nervous system. So self-care to me is anything that will help reset your nervous system. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Soothing it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And from a trauma perspective, um, you know, I think it's worth acknowledging how much people who have endured a trauma want to be disconnected from their bodies often. Right. So I think just kind of acknowledging that fear too, and the adapt, the, the survival technique that is that avoidance. So there's no judgment in that, but the learning how to reintegrate mind body and use some of these things that say, okay, I do have things that are in my capacity to soothe my nervous system is really empowering. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yes. So many things that we could do to soothe our nervous system. Yep. And it's not, it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. I mean, yeah. 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 Do you have uh, any mentors, people in your life that you turn to? I've had mentors. Uh-huh. I've had mentors before. Yeah. And I think at this age in my life, I think I've listened to external voices enough. Mm. I think I have a better mentor inside of me. Mm. That if I was to quiet all noise and all external voices, I would actually be able to hear it. So I'm in this process of trying to just allow that voice to be heard. 
Beautiful. Oh, yes, it makes sense. And gosh, I mean, there's absolute value in both, but I love that at this place in this point in your journey and this season of where you are, that that learning to trust that inner wisdom is intentional. Mm. Yeah, it's very intentional. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you like quotes or mantras? Are you a person that kind of resonates with? Yeah. Okay. Any go-to ones that jump out to you? I do this with my daughter every morning, um, right before she gets out of uh, the car with, um, when I'm dropping her off from school, I'm like, it's affirmation time. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Affirmation time. And so I go through this and I'll say, okay, let's repeat them. And I'll say, today's going to be an amazing day. I am um, strong. I am brave. I am courageous. I am smart. I help people. I respect people. I respect myself. And we always end with, and I love myself. And I actually have her say her name. I'll say, I love you, Bernicia. And she'll say, I love you, Nala, because how often we don't even say that to ourselves enough. When we think about love, and help it. It's always like put out, put out, put out. But I have to remind myself and my daughter, anything you put out to other people, if it's good, put it, put that mirror in front of yourself and put it, give it back to you. Exactly. Right. Like you got to get it back to you. So I have her say all the time, I love you, Nala. And I'll say, I love you, Vernicia, because my me needs to hear me. That's it. Right. The power love- of affirmations. Yeah. 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 So I just repeat those every single morning. There's Tons more, but those are like the the standard go-tos just to fill myself up. I, I've recently been listening to a book on Audible. Um, it's uh, Affirmations for Discernment. Mm. I think discernment is really, really mm-hmm. important. And um, if you're an empath like me, discernment is, pro- is not like the greatest strength, you know? Yeah. Us empaths struggle. We just want to help everybody. And just, I feel like in our brains, it's butterflies and flowers and sunshine, (laughs) you know? And when the rain comes, we're the ones like holding umbrellas over people while we're getting soaked and wet. Um, So I'm listening to this book, this, this affirmations every morning, um, because I think part of being an empath and, and, and especially if you've experienced some of the traumas that I've experienced, there's a, there's this false narrative that you tell yourself that evolves into you not trusting yourself. Mm-hmm. You're not trusting yourself to to make sound decisions or do something for yourself or whatever the case is. So listening to this these affirmations around discernment is it it, it just empowers me mm-hmm. so much that I after I, I listen to it like two or three times in the shower. Sometimes I listen at night, mm-hmm. but it just makes me feel like I'm gonna make the right decision today. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to see, I'm going to see people for who they are. I'm going to see them, how they show up. And it is not what I tell myself about the person. I have to make the decision based on what they are telling me, what I see and what I feel going back in my body, going back to the body, what I feel in my body. So that one for me, where I am right now in my life has been something really, really helpful. I don't have it memorized, but I listen to it every day. I love that. I love that and discernment and mm-hmm. so much of that is like, yeah, we've talked about the inner wisdom, but, you know, trusting the process too, of yeah. just being able to witness it unfolding and being really present in that. Yeah. Uh, I love that. Anything yeah. else you'd add just around like therapy, you know, um, destigmatizing this kind of conversation we're having, making that more accessible for people. Yeah, you know, there's, there, you just said something that made me think of one more thing. My kind of go-tos for, you know, 
quotes, affirmations, or self-care is gratitude. Mm -hmm. Okay. I know it may be a buzzword now, but I incorporate this in all my trainings and I have people admit, hey, I deserve a break. Just say that out loud. I deserve a break. If you're a parent, you you deserve a break from your children. It's okay. That doesn't make you a bad parent. Parent. If you're working, 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 you deserve a break. If you're the CEO or entrepreneur, you deserve a break. We all deserve a break. And if if we admit that, it actually releases some serotonin. It releases some of the good hormones, those stress-relieving hormones, because you are being honest with yourself. You know, saying that uh, I'm doing the best that I can, especially when things go wrong. I did the best that I could. I did the best that I could. I'm doing the best that I can right now. You know, saying those things releases, again, those good stress-relieving hormones. So when it comes to, get back to your question, when it comes to therapy, I think, you know, especially in communities of color, there's just been this uh, huge, huge, huge stigma around it. And it was because of how we were raised. What happens in this house stays in this house. That's what they tell us, right? Mm-hmm. And there's also this fear, too, that if what happens in our home is exposed, yeah our families will be even more deeply divided, more divided than they already are. So there is a huge trust factor or lack of trust, especially in communities of color when it comes to therapy. It's just, it's just the thing that we, we, were, we were taught to pray and believe and focus on faith. People were not the answer ever. God was the answer. And it's, we're in the South, so that's why I can speak so frankly about yes, this. Yes, yes. Like, Religion has also had a whole, a, a, a big, a plays a big part. And that's another conversation, yes. right? But I will say, I am so proud of the, of millennials of color who are now advocating mm-hmm. uh, for us to do things differently than our parents. Mm-hmm. See our parents now, some are okay. Some are struggling, you know, with physical health problems, marriages that have been around, you know, th- 20, 30 year marriages are ending. Why? Because they did not do these things, which is take care of their mental health or their physical well-being. It was just them kind of masking, dealing with, you know, just kind of pushing through. And millennials were like, I don't like this. This doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. And mommy and daddy, what y'all did, I mean, that's not working for me right now. And the world is different. And and now millennials are becoming parents. And we're like, ooh, we need to we need some better resources because now our children are watching us and we don't, we, we got it. We're the first example. We're our first, we're the, we're our children's first role model. Yeah. So we are, I'm proud of millennials pushing for therapy mm-hmm. and going to therapy. I've been to therapy twice and I, and I've had tons of life coaches, not tons, but I've had consistent mm-hmm. life coaches that help me because therapy helps me deal with the past. Life coaches help me when I feel stuck, push forward. And so I think you just need both if you can have both. The only challenge that I see when it comes to therapy, I love that folks are advocating for it. And it's something that people are becoming, it's starting to become normalized is the affordability of it. Mm -hmm. And so in my work, that's the thing that I'm trying to also advocate for that help should not be expensive. (sighs) Yep. Right. It shouldn't. There are other things that can be expensive, like a a jet, a private jet, but help should not be expensive. Yeah. Which goes back to the whole systemic and like, you know, healthcare system is so messed up. Exactly. Exactly. I have a lot of thoughts on that, you know, as a therapist and um, with the amount of training and all the things that we do and then, and how insurance just doesn't all the red tape and how they don't value it. Right. How they just don't value mental health care. 
Mm-mm. And then when you get into those who have Medicaid, it's a whole nother oh. story. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. Um, so there's the stigma, there's the affordability. I mean, there are just lots of layers that make it so much harder than it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, that because there's so many barriers, right, that we still need to advocate for people to find ways to kind of help them if you can't afford therapy. That's why journaling is so important. I know we hate writing, but, you know, physically, but we're doing it anyway on social media. So it's finding a way to journal, get this stuff out of your head, out of your body. You just got to get it out of your body so it doesn't fester and linger in your body. There are tons of apps out there right now. I love this one app. It's fairly new. It's fairly, really small. It's called Addy, A2I. And it's basically, it's kind of like a a journaling app. They're developing it in the end right now, but it's really a space for folks to just be open and get this stuff out. You know, it's a, it's a space where you can show up bravely and just name how you feel and say how you feel and kind of track how you're feeling day to day. So there's tons of apps out there with tons of resources. I do think too that, you know, we just got to, we have to, too much information can be just as damaging as not enough information. And that's why I think that quiet voice, a trusted source, you know, so a, a person that you can lean on is something that everybody needs in this world. And so for my for my company, we're trying to be at least a trusted resource for folks that if it comes from us, is something that is information that you should be able to trust. Love it. I love it, Renisha. Okay. Crazy question time. If you could pick a hype song for when you come out, when you show up, what's your hype song? Um, I think my hype song, it's not like super hype, but I think it's the boss by the Carters, Beyonce. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Are you reading anything right now? What are you reading? Oh, what am I not reading? Um, so I just, let me pull up my audible app. Um, other than your discernment book, (laughs) other than my discernment book, I am currently reading well, I just finished, I just finished Destiny by T.D. Jakes, The Power of Vulnerability by Brene Brown, which I think I've read that three times, to be right. honest. But I have two books here that I'm listening to of showing up and the soul of money is what I'm reading. Okay. Right okay. And last one, any person dead or alive that you could get coffee with, who would you get coffee with? It's such a hard, hard, <laughs> I know. hard question. It's so many people. Who would I get coffee with? You can have with a group table. I can have a group table. Okay. Yeah. It has to be Stevie Wonder because I am just like the biggest freaking fan of Stevie Wonder. Uh-huh. It would also be, of course, Oprah. Uh-huh. I have to sit with Harriet Tubman. Uh-huh. I need to know how she did this railroad thing. I, I need to know. Okay. <laughs> um, uh-huh. And I would also be very, very, this may sound very weird, but I would love to sit with someone like a Hitler and have a conversation mm. with them. Mm. Okay. Hitler yep. And whoever, whoever equates to Hitler in America, whoever started this whole slavery, all of that, that person. I want all of them at the Woo. table. Woo. At the same time, they're going to be at that table. Uh-huh. Let me be at that round table. Yeah. You know, I'm a great facilitator, so I can facilitate. Yes. That's it. That's the stuff you want to do the work. Yes. Let's get right to it. Thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. I'm so grateful that you're in this community and that you took this time today. I really appreciate it.
Let's talk about affirmations for a minute because often people just kind of roll their eyes and think they're cheesy, but you can create and curate them to be something that fits for you individually. And affirmations truly activate the reward system in your brain, which impacts how you experience emotional and physical pain. So it's really, an affirmation is really anything you say or think. And if you're really aware of that, a lot of this, a lot of what we say and think to ourselves is is often quite negative. And so this is really an intentional way to counter that and retrain our thinking into more neutral or positive patterns. So these simple statements can actually really help shift our focus of how we feel about ourselves or our experience in the world. And regular repetition of affirming statements can really encourage us to take action and encourage our brain to move towards positive affirmations being fact. So let's talk about how to make them work for you. It helps to set them in the present and to word them so that it that it makes sense and resonates for you and your situation. So it needs to be something that's realistic and believable to you. So it doesn't have to be this like sweeping positive thing. I love myself even, but something more neutral. And I always tell clients, you're in charge of the language. So put ahead of what you're working on or what you want to believe, put ahead of that. I'm learning to. So I'm learning to believe that fill in the blank and keeping it strengths based. So knowing that we all inherently have strengths within us, it helps to, as we're trying to, again, shift the way that we're thinking and feeling about ourselves to be strengths based. So set an intention right now. Can you think of one affirmation that really resonates that you can uh, hold on to and repeat to yourself and just see how it feels. Notice how it feels to intentionally create different language for yourself about something that you do believe or that you're wanting to believe. Try it, right? I mean, what's the, it's not going to hurt. <laughs> you know, what's the, what's the risk in it? So I encourage all of us to, to, to do that. And actually I'd love for you to go back to our Yep, I Go to Therapy Instagram and comment with an affirmation that resonates for you so we can um, share in that together. Thanks for listening. So who are you calling crazy? I think you mean human. We are removing the stigma, y'all. Say it loud and proud. Yep, I go to therapy. Please tell the phrase.